Hello, and welcome to another episode of Becoming Multiplanetary. This week we're going to be going over the second half of our Curiosity episode, as there was so much we wanted to cover, we had to split it down into two episodes. So, without further ado, let me introduce my co-host, Kage. Thank you, and as Rich said, I am Kage, one of the co-hosts of Becoming Multiplanetary, and thank you for joining us for this second part about the Curiosity rover. And with that, uh, Rich, you want to give us a quick recap as to what we talked about in the first part? No problem, buddy. So, last week we talked about why we should send the rovers in the first place. It's a very it's a very common question that often comes up among the public. You know, why are we spending so much money on sending these rovers to a planet that a lot of us probably aren't going to even be on in our lifetime, you know? That's a very valid question, and uh, the answers might surprise you, actually. So, if you missed last week's episode, feel free to go back on our website or wherever you listen in and just hit up last week's episode, and then you can hear all about that. And after talking about why sending the rovers, we also talked about some stats comparison, like a side-by-side, if you will, between Curiosity and Perseverance, where we talked about the weights of the two, the sizes of the two, uh, the power outputs or supplies of the two, and we did some other side-by-side comparisons as well. And also, how similar both rovers are. Now, Perseverance was actually made partially from some spare parts left over from Curiosity. So that's why you find that the two rovers look relatively similar in some aspects, because the the parts were from Curiosity's leftovers, as it were. And lastly, we talked a little bit about the wheels on Curiosity, how they'd suffered a bit of damage recently, and how the wheels on Perseverance have been upgraded in anticipation of this. Uh, well, they found that the rolling along, along the surface of Mars using the wheel design that Curiosity had was a lot more damaging to the wheels than they expected. So they updated the wheel design for Perseverance in anticipation of this. And that is roughly about where we left off. So, Kage, do you want to talk about what we'll be going into? Absolutely. So we didn't yet get into the instrumentation on Curiosity and the differences in the instruments between uh, Curiosity and the recent Perseverance rover. So here we'll go ahead and begin with that comparison and go into a little bit of detail about the scientific objectives of both rovers, especially uh, Curiosity, and how Curiosity has been accomplishing that, what kind of tooling it's been using. So there are actually less instruments aboard Perseverance than there are aboard Curiosity, and the instruments weigh less on Perseverance than they do on Curiosity. And that's not because they needed to make any particular cuts or anything, or they needed to reduce weight, but actually because they managed to make such efficient instrumentation that they didn't need to add as many instruments as they did with Curiosity. But in addition to that, they also wanted to add a sample collection system to the underbelly of Perseverance, which did require cutting down some weight, but also adds a completely unique new uh, scientific capacity to Perseverance as compared to Curiosity. So Curiosity has uh, 75 kilograms or 165 pounds of instruments, and that's an earth weight, whereas Perseverance has 59 kilograms or 130 pounds of instruments, again, an earth weight. So onboard Curiosity, there are 10 instruments, alpha particle x-ray spectrometer, chemistry and camera, chemistry and mineralogy, dynamic albedo of neutrons, 
Mars Descent Imager, Mars Hand Lens Imager, Mast Camera, Radiation Assessment Detector, Rover Environmental Monitoring Station, and the Sample Analysis at Mars. On Perseverance, there are seven instruments, which are Mast Cam Z, Mars Environmental Dynamics Analyzer, or MEDA, Mars Oxygen In Situ Resource Utilization Experiment, or MOXIE, Planetary Instrument for X-ray Lithochemistry, Pixel, Radar Imager for Mars's Subsurface Experiment, or RIMFAX, which I love the name of that because it kind of sounds like a uh, a car insurance uh, <laughs> validation service, like, uh, like Carfax, <laughs> and also. Scanning Habitable Environments with Raman and Luminescence for Organics and Chemicals, or Sherlock, which was actually, I believe, the uh, uh, favorite instrument from Dr. Graham Lau, who was on our previous rover uh, episode talking about Perseverance. And finally, Supercam. In addition to those instruments, there's also the ability for Perseverance to uh, collect over 30 samples. It actually has 43 collecting containers and five, quote, witness tubes which can do chemical and other gaseous analysis as a control to ensure that there's no contamination uh, that was done by uh, Perseverance. And that kind of sampling actually doesn't really exist on Curiosity. This is something revolutionary and new for uh, Perseverance. In addition to that, the robotic arm on Perseverance has been massively upgraded, including color cameras, brand new scientific instruments, as well as microphones. one of which is on board the uh, chassis of Perseverance. There are no microphones on Curiosity, but there are two on Perseverance. Uh, As mentioned earlier in the program, uh, the best camera on board uh, Curiosity can only take photos of about 2 megapixels, whereas on Perseverance it can take a 20 megapixel full-color photo. Uh, A couple of other really interesting uh, differences between Perseverance and Curiosity is that on board both, there was actually the ability for people to send their names uh, to Mars, to the surface of Mars, uh, on board both Curiosity and Perseverance. Uh, both had uh, the ability to submit names online, but there are also some in-person options to do that. On board Curiosity, there are a few silicon disks that contain 1.24 million names, Whereas on board Perseverance, there are three silicon disks that contain 10.93 million names. So just a bit more interest, it seems, and a, a bit more advertising for the uh, Get Your Name to Mars uh, uh, program with Perseverance in, uh, in comparison to Curiosity. But see, this is the thing. A program like this is perfect because the amount of interest it generates is is crazy. You know, everybody's getting involved and, and, and everybody's finding them. You know, we find the space community more and more people getting interested, more and more people, you know, sat there watching the launches. We've seen how many viewers some of these launches have. It's absolutely crazy. And not only that, also, I, I want to point out a couple of uh, things or a couple of people uh, that were of particular uh, notability with the Curiosity and Perseverance missions. So people might remember back in 2011, uh, Bobak Ferdowski, who was known as the Mohawk guy, uh, that engineer in Mission Control that had a Mohawk, something you would never see in the Apollo or Mercury or Gemini days, and uh, he rocked it. Um, but in this mission... 
we actually had uh, a lot of commentary from Dr. Swati Mohan, who is the Guidance and Control Operations Lead. As stated by Paul Rogers, who is a San Jose Mercury News journalist on Twitter, quote, She immigrated uh, to the United States from India at age one and was inspired by Star Trek at age nine, then earned a Bachelor of Science from Cornell in Mechanical and Aerospace Engineering and a Master's of Science and a PhD from MIT in Aeronautics. And one of the things that I found really amazing about that is that um, how many people she was inspiring on social media. There were a lot of uh, photos that I saw on social media from uh, people from India and uh, from uh, young girls who were saying, wow, she's uh, truly an inspiration for me. I want to become like her. I want to go into uh, aerospace engineering like her. That's amazing. I want to do this too. And that that's really awesome uh, that uh, she has not only is she a absolutely brilliant engineer and absolutely earned her place at NASA, but she's also uh, an inspiration to young girls uh, to become like her, to uh, aspire to become a uh, aerospace engineer. And I really like that. That's that's really cool. Absolutely, and you know this should be the kind of going if we if we are to we need to leave those those Absolutely old habits agree. behind. So, um, getting back to curiosity. There were several objectives, and still are several objectives for Curiosity, and it has four scientific goals. So among those goals are uh, biological objectives, which are to determine the nature and inventory of organic carbon compounds, inventory the chemical building blocks of life, including carbon, hydrogen, nitrogen, oxygen, phosphorus, and sulfur, and identify features that may represent the effects of biological processes. In addition to that, there are also geological and uh, geochemical objectives, which include investigating the chemical, isotopic, and mineralogical composition of the Martian surface and near-surface geological materials, and to interpret the processes that have formed and modified rocks and soils. The planetary process objectives include assessing long time scale, such as on a 4 billion year long uh, time scale, atmospheric evolution processes, and to determine present state distribution and cycling of water and carbon dioxide. And finally, the surface radiation objective of Curiosity is to characterize the broad spectrum of surface radiation, including galactic cosmic radiation, solar proton events, and secondary neutrons. Now, these are actually not only important to look at the historical aspect of Mars, but also to look at a couple of things. First, what kind of future threats could we see uh, in terms of threats to uh, life on Earth and how uh, if we have catastrophic events for our atmosphere, what would that look like uh, by looking at what it's done to Mars, but also to determine uh, what kind of habitability could exist for humans to become a multiplanetary species. This is the first in uh, many experiments. Uh, Curiosity has the first in many experiments to determine how viable would it be to actually send humans to Mars and have them inhabit that planet. And it's great that we do have all the us to you know get all this science done before we get boots on it. Because then, forewarned, for 
Yeah, forewarned is Absolutely. forearmed. So in that time of 3,036 souls that Curiosity has been on the surface of Mars, it's traveled uh, 24.61 kilometers, and it's made its way through a lot of area, uh, a lot of areas of uh, Mars, including starting at the Bradbury Landing, going through Yellowknife Bay, Darwin, Cooperstown, uh, Kimberley, uh, Parump Hills, Mars Pass. Bridgier Basin, uh, and I can't read some of these because the text is a little bit too small, uh, but it's... <laughs> no worries, I got you. So we've got, after that, Bridger Basin, Maria's Pass, Gobabeb, which I have no idea where that name came from. Uh, if anybody knows, please feel free to uh, put it in our comments or whatever. and That would be interesting, actually. Uh, we have Naukluft Plateau, uh, Murray Butts, <laughs> I love that, uh, Ogunquit Beach, um, Vera Rubin Ridge, uh, Green Hue Pediment, and I believe the last area that we're currently in, if you give me one moment, currently in the Mary Anning and Groken yep. drill sites. So Rich, um, maybe you can lead us through uh, some of the experiments that Curiosity has done and what it still has left to do. So... Effectively, when it landed, uh, it was there, it landed at Gale Crater, and it was trying to acquire rock, soil, and air samples for the onboard analysis, as we know. It was playing silly. And on board, it had a lab where it could test these samples. However, we found there was an issue uh, with that system, and if I recall correctly, it had something chloric. A huge issue for uh, humans being able to survive on the surface of Mars because uh, perchlorates are just lethal for plants and can also be lethal for humans. Yeah, and you know this is why you definitely don't want to get that stuff. I mean, Kuzgazag did a great video actually on how you would have a, a spacesuit that would be external to your habitat because you really don't want to bring those perchlorates inside. So back to uh, Curiosity. <clears throat> it's driven through... All of these various places, it's taken some amazing photos, it's done some uh, core sample drills, it, you know, picked up those up along the way. And right now, what they're looking to do uh, with the extended uh, section of their mission is they're going to try and get to the foothills of Mount Sharp because they believe there's going to be some interesting stuff to drill into it that's on Mount Sharp. So obviously there's a lot of exposed rock up, and that's what they're looking to do. Also, I'm not sure if you're aware, but recently uh, the NASA page for Curiosity uh, decided uh, in their wisdom, which I think is actually really nice, they actually turned Curiosity's camera towards the Perseverance landing site. Do they see anything or have they uh, sent anything back yet? Uh, the, I've I have the image here. There doesn't seem to appear to be anything, but I'm not sure when during the landing it was taken, and there seems to be a haze mm. over the horizon. Well, they are actually uh, pretty pretty distant from each other, so... Yeah, if I recall correctly, uh, isn't Gale Crater south-southeast of... Yes, I think so. If I remember my map of Mars correctly, I'm sure Gale Crater is to the south-southeast of Yetzer. <clears throat> So yeah, that's a really uh, another interesting thing that recently as well. But uh, yeah, as I said earlier, one you know they're going to try and push forward now. They've got to change up where they're driving now because of that wheel, the wheel issue. So as they try and navigate a path to the foothills of Mount Sharp, then they'll probably take a few samples along the way as well to determine how the this gradient as it goes up, how it changes the composition of the rock as it goes up. So they get data on that. 
in its life, the Curiosity rover has taken, according to NASA, 766,909 total raw images. That's a lot of photos. Just a few. (laughs) Now, I wonder, is there a statistic on how many of them were selfies? (laughs) (laughs) No, not that I can find, but I'm sure quite a few of them are. Yeah, unfortunately on their website, I don't see an option to filter for selfies. Well, NASA, if you're listening, you now know that you need a selfie filter on your option. (laughs) (laughs) Although, there are quite a few pictures here I'm looking at on uh, the, uh, the NASA website for Curiosity. And I guess it really just depends on what you're calling a selfie, because it does have quite a few photos where uh, it took uh, images of its own instruments. So if you take a photo of your own hand, is that a selfie? Well, yeah, I guess. I guess it all comes back to the anthropomorphization again. Doesn't it? If it, it, is it if it takes a picture of itself with the mast cam? Do we consider <laughs> that its face? Fair point. Something else that is interesting to note is that even though there have been quite a few complications with Curiosity, like, for example, uh, with the holes that it's getting in its wheels, there's also been a complication uh, with its drill that they have overcome as well. So, as Discover Magazine puts it, the drill that sits at, and this is Discover Magazine's quote, quote, Curiosity's LeBron James-sized robotic arm end quote, (laughs) there is a drill that actually was broken uh, back in December of 2016. And this kind of put a significant setback on uh, several of the experiments that uh, NASA wanted to complete with the Curiosity rover. However, they found a technique to actually extend the life of the drill and make it uh, continue to work. And that was basically pushing past the safety margins on it. So there's a stabilizer, a set of stabilizer bars that keep the rover steady. And they push the drill bit a little bit further past that, which uh, NASA says is kind of like a human leaning on a wall to steady themselves as they work. So since they've done that, um, so far as I'm aware, they haven't had any issues with the drill ever since, and they're still able to continue with uh, sampling, although they're seemingly not getting as much uh, sample as they would like to, but they're still able to continue with that work. So, yeah, when they overcame this complication, they were able to get about half a baby aspirin's worth of sample. It's, uh, they started up their chemistry experiments again and this was uh, this was published that that hack was discovered years ago time flies so one of the things that's uh, really important to uh, point out there is that even though they've had several setbacks with curiosity they still overcome each and every one of those setbacks a nearly broken wheel actually a couple of wheels that are just starting to fall apart a uh, broken drill and several other things that have not exactly gone as they had planned. And even though the Curiosity rover was rated for only one Martian year, it's now gone 4.5 times longer than it was rated for, and it still has about five years of power left and could maybe even keep going after that if they are careful with their power draw. So Curiosity, she's still going strong still has plenty of work to do and now they're going to uh, start with uh, some missions with her uh, younger sister Perseverance who just landed on the surface of Mars but yeah go Curiosity and uh, 
keep it uh, keep going strong <laughs> that's actually a trend i've noticed uh in nasa recently i've noticed that some of their missions seem you know actually going beyond their their mission window so the example i can think of off the top of my head is new horizon you know when that went whizzing past pluto and it still kept sending data even as it went out into the kuiper belt and as far as i know i think they're still good although and the voyager missions those are still going even after they were sent in the 1970s so that's i mean they're 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 sending very very small amounts of data currently but they're still alive yeah i would imagine that the speed would be terribly terribly slow actually i was having a uh, a talk with uh, felix schlang from what about it about this and it's it's pretty interesting that they will that that nasa engineers and well aeronautical engineers in general will set a rather low bar for uh, mission expectations or rather uh, lifetime expectations for missions and there's there are a few reasons for this but one of which is that when you need to have such a high tolerance for faults and failures you want to make sure that everything that you want to accomplish will abs- absolutely happen within a very short time frame so even though you may engineer like actually engineer your system to last for five years, you rate it for only one year because you know that if there's just something that goes wrong there, like a uh, cosmic ray uh, burst that ends up uh, hitting this uh, uh, hitting this rover or this satellite uh, three or four years into its lifespan, by that point, its ability to withstand that is significantly reduced from uh, its ability to re- uh, to withstand it and correct for those uh, for the faults that it causes within the first year of its rated life. Um, another reason why they do that is partially for the politics of it. That if they say yes, it's engineered to last five years, but it's rated for only one year and it's uh, exceeds that one year, well, now they've not only uh, succeeded in their mission, but they're over succeeding their mission. They they can keep going and going and going. So it kind of has a little bit of a PR aspect to it, uh, but it's also to ensure that there is the success of what they actually want to accomplish within a specific time frame. So even even with that uh, uh, even with that stated, it still is just amazing that many of the uh, missions uh, that NASA has sent out have gone far beyond what they even had as their hopeful optimism that it might last for. So Curiosity, for example, even though it was rated to only last for one Martian year, they expected it might last for maybe two or three Martian years. It's still going 4.5 Martian years later and has no end in sight. So that's a really awesome testament to the engineering prowess of all the people that were involved in Curiosity and all the missions that came before it and missions that uh, have come since then, including Perseverance. I have little doubt in my mind that Perseverance will last for far, far longer than it was originally rated for. Matter of fact, it may last at least as long as Curiosity, if not far longer, because uh, bear in mind, Curiosity still has at least five years of power left in its radioisotope generator, and if they are uh, pretty conservative with that power uh, utilization, they might even be able to stretch further than that still. So that's just absolutely fantastic. Well done to uh, the teams at NASA 
that built uh, curiosity. Well done to the teams that built perseverance. And uh, yeah, looking forward to see what else curiosity has in store for us. 100% agree with you. So a couple of things. Uh, I got a hot take and uh, something wholesome Ooh, to wrap up Give on. To me. So uh, forgive my ignorance. It might already happen this way. But if this is the case and, uh, you know, missions always end up overextending, why don't they plan the missions such as they have primary directives or primary objectives and then secondary objectives for any extra time that they're allowed so that that way they they do plan for any secondary objectives so should the opportunity arise they absolutely do it's just those secondary objectives they're less vocal about because if the mission doesn't continue on past its rated duration uh it's better to keep those cards close to the chest so that way you don't have the uh the the public embarrassment that can come from that of oh well you had these 30 other things planned and the rover died so you can't accomplish them rather instead it's oh you had these seven things planned and you accomplished them and uh it only lasted a little bit longer than its rated lifetime but still the mission was a success so it it has has a uh, a publicity element to it and they they absolutely do plan for the the much longer duration um it's just they they don't they don't put their money on that, uh, uh, so to speak, because it's not certain that it'll make it there, but they're hopefully optimistic for it, and they, they do uh, account for that of, okay, well, we've already accomplished all that. Now what? Now they, they already they already know what they want to do next. Okay, so it, it was just me not exactly understanding. Oh, no, 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 no not, not at all. It's just um, uh, it's just the way in which they, they, they phrase it. They... they want to they want to make sure that they don't lead up to any disappointment i guess you could say yeah i get it and uh now for the wholesome thing <clears throat> you mentioned earlier about uh you have your suspicions that percy will last quite some time i th- i don't know whether this would even be possible wouldn't but wouldn't it be amazing for the first colonists to land uh assumedly at utopia planitia only to have Percy greet them on I've arrival. actually seen that on uh, social media, too, where some people were saying, wait, Perseverance is collecting a bunch of samples and it's going to hold on to them for the next decade because the Mars return mission is probably not going to happen until about, like, 2032, somewhere around there. We might have... 20, 2039, oh, wow. it has been yeah. speculated. So we, we might have uh, humans on the surface of Mars by the time uh, we're able to actually, like, uh, that they could actually just go walk up to Perseverance and grab its samples and throw them on a rocket and shoot them back rather than having the Mars sample return mission. That's entirely possible, but that's fine. And as a matter of fact, one of the things that um, some people have asked is, well, why don't they just have a little rocket built into Perseverance so it can send the samples back? Well, you have to remember that Perseverance is already pretty heavy. It's 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 the size and weight of a, a sedan car. And if you add any kind of like rocketry to that, well, that's just going to be increased payload. Whereas you could say, okay, well, then we send a Mars sample return mission. And um, why doesn't that just do the core drilling and send the samples back? It's the same problem because you now need the additional payload weight for the drilling instrumentation and for the uh, return mission to uh, launch a rocket back into uh, Mars orbit, orbit and get it back to uh, Earth. So there, it's it's kind of like six and one, half dozen the other. Uh, there's there's still that, that uh, problem of mass. 
And then you have the third question of, okay, well, why do we send a Mars sample return mission uh, using rovers? Why don't we just send humans to go collect those things? Why not both? I mean, <laughs> you could you could uh, certainly do both. But one of the things that's really important to also uh, mention about the samples that Perseverance is collecting is that um, it's it has also those five witness tubes that I mentioned earlier, which are meant to kind of give a... Uh, a control to the experimentation to determine what would happen to the core samples and other things that uh, that I'm collecting if I also contaminate them, be that with uh, any kind of gaseous leaks that come from uh, perseverance, uh, be that uh, any kind of uh, microbes or other things that could have remained on perseverance. And the uh, 43 sample tubes... Uh, uh, sample collection tubes uh, on board Perseverance are meant to store those samples before any humans set foot on Mars. And that prevents those samples from being contaminated. So that way they can look at it in a truly uh, unadulterated, uh, absolutely, uh, air quotes, sterile uh, environment. So, um, yeah, we might have humans land on Mars to go and just walk up to Perseverance and wave at it and take a selfie with it or perseverance could take a selfie with them or both <laughs> and yeah humans could collect those samples or uh, a rover could uh, collect them or both all right so that about wraps up the comparisons about curiosity and perseverance but enough of the comparisons let's actually dig into a little bit about what curiosity has done so far so, Rich, um, you want to take us through some of Curiosity's milestones? Thanks, Gage. So, personally for me, I think the best place to start in terms of the discoveries that Curiosity made, it has to be the evidence for ancient water. And that was on the September 27th, 2012. Uh, NASA had announced that the Curiosity rover found evidence for an ancient stream bed. So basically the rocks were weathered in such a way that it was very characteristic of having had water flow over it. And to demonstrate this, it took a few photos of a couple of rock outcrops which showed the evidence of this. So we have the hotter rock outcrop and the link rock outcrop, which demonstrated that they'd seen, you know, in past, this area had seen water flow. So what do you think about that? Well, it's actually, I think, one of the things that's uh, really inspired the next missions for Perseverance because with especially the update to the instrumentation on Perseverance and the uh, Yetzero Crater uh, choice that they made, they found that these particular areas where there were like river deltas had really high amount of scientific interest where there was a lot of things worth exploring, a lot of things that could demonstrate if there was uh, any kind of uh, ancient microbial life present or potentially even microbial life that still exists to this date. Right. And then after, obviously, it discovered this ancient water, it then went on to discover quite a few more things. The next notable discovery was evidence for ancient habitability in February of 2013. This is when the rover used its drill for the first time. And in March of 2013, NASA reported that Curiosity found evidence 
that geochemical conditions in Gale Crater were once suitable for microbial life after analyzing the first drill sample of Martian rock. So the rover itself in the sample had detected water, carbon dioxide, oxygen, sulfur dioxide, and hydrogen sulfide. And they also detected chloromethane and dichloromethane. So there's quite a lot of elements here embedded within this rock that proved that Mars was once habitable. Right. And I'm curious if that might even been one of the inspirations for the uh, Sherlock instrument on Perseverance, the scanning habitable environments with Raman and luminescence for organics and chemicals, because the scientific uh, instrumentation on board Curiosity wasn't seemingly wasn't sufficient enough to give a clear indication about uh, if there was actually microbial life present. And they they, they took a lot of lessons learned with Curiosity, updated the um, the tooling and instrumentation on uh, Perseverance to, uh, pun intended here, dig deeper into uh, those scientific findings and see if there might actually be some uh, real evidence of organics uh, either present or, uh, especially in the past, present on uh, the surface of Mars. Well, I mean, it's the scientific method in action, right? You run an experiment, you find in your findings that maybe the experiment might have been better if you had better tools or if you maybe modified your experiment slightly. And it compounds upon itself. So as you learn more and more about the conditions and and what you're experimenting on, you can then adapt your tools and refine your experiment to learn more about what you're looking at. Right. It was also around this time in late February 2013 that they also had one of the first major problems with Curiosity. That's where they had an issue with the main computer, where Curiosity was the first time that they had deployed rovers that had redundant computer systems on them. And it was on February 28th, 2013, where NASA had to switch over to the backup computer because there was an issue with the active computer's flash memory. And so far as I've found, they've never rectified that issue. I think still to this day, Curiosity is running on its backup computer. Yeah, that's right. It got stuck in some kind of boot loop. We suspect from damage caused by radiation during its travel, we suspect. We're not entirely sure. But I believe you are still correct in that Curiosity, I believe, is still running on its backup computer. Mm Mm-hmm. So, one other discovery of note Curiosity then went on to make was the evidence for atmospheric loss. On April 8th, 2013, NASA reported that much of the atmosphere of Mars had been lost based on argon isotope ratio studies. Now, I'm not 100% sure of the exact science behind it, but I do understand that they measured argon isotope ratios on Jupiter and the Sun in order to create a control set to compare with Mars, and they were able to deduce from these control sets in this experiment that Mars had lost quite a bit of its atmosphere. Yeah, actually quoting from Space.com in an article that they published in April 2013, they said, quote, Curiosity used its sample analysis at Mars, SAM instrument, to sniff a sample of Martian air and measured the ratio of two different argon isotopes, which are varieties of an element that have different numbers of neutrons in their atomic nuclei. The instrument found that the lighter argon-36 is about four times as common as the heavier argon-38. That quote continues. 
that ratio is significantly lower than the ratio for the solar system at its birth, as estimated from argon isotope measurements of the Sun and Jupiter, researchers said. The new measurement is consistent with the idea that gas escaped from the top of the Martian atmosphere in the distant past, with lighter stuff leaving more easily than heavier atoms and molecules, end quote. It doesn't exactly state, and I, I wasn't able to find how long ago they think this happened, but I would guess probably on the order of maybe a few billion years ago that Mars was having an atmospheric loss because that would probably coincide with about the time where its magnetosphere started to significantly weaken. And this actually is a really useful discovery going back to the question of why send rovers to Mars or other planetary bodies. This is actually a really useful discovery to show what kind of risks that we face here on Earth. So if we didn't have our own magnetosphere, if we started to have a significant loss of our own atmosphere for one reason or another, for example, a extremely massive solar wind burst that would strip away some of the upper atmosphere. This was the start of some research to show what kind of damage that can truly cause and how that looks like over time. That's right. There is one more discovery that i definitely like to discuss as well, and that was on September 26th of 2013. NASA scientists reported that the Mars Curiosity rover detected, quote, abundant, easily accessible, end quote, water in soil samples at the Rock Nest region in Gale Crater. They didn't have to drill down that far, and they got these soil samples, and there was easily, you know, there was, there was abundant water in these soil samples. So it just goes to show that there is water on Mars. There's quite a lot of stuff that they discovered in 2013 alone, it seems like. This one in particular is also especially important because this is where it would make a major difference in terms of if they would be able to extract the materials necessary from the surface to, for example, create oxygen or to create fuel from the surface of Mars. So rather than having to bring a bunch of excess fuel in order to make a return trip from the surface of Mars, this could actually be a really strong indication that they could dig down a certain depth into the soil and extract water that could be then converted into hydrogen and oxygen or converted into potable water for humans to drink. Yeah. Definitely. And that last one there, super important, especially if we're going to be doing manned missions to Mars, which we are. Not only that, but also water is a really good insulator. We had Framrick on several of our episodes to discuss this, that water is a especially good insulator for cosmic radiation. So if you were to build some form of like a, a habitat module and insulate it with water, Rather than needing to bring that water with you, you could just extract it from the surface and fill water bladders on the exterior of a particular module. And then you have a safe zone. You might not need to do it for all the modules, but just have one in particular that you fill with water that you've extracted from the soil. And then if there is a solar storm that comes in, then everyone can just go bunker down in that module and ride it out until that solar storm passes. One less thing to carry with them. Yeah, for sure. To wrap things up, one thing I'd like to point out now is that Curiosity, since I believe 2016, has been on the climb up Mount Sharp. What they've been doing, and the reason this is of great scientific interest, is because as they're going up, they're doing various different drills, and because the, the rock is at different elevation, they're getting different results from the drill each time. So they, they can see a geographic 
mineral profile of Mount Sharp as they go up the hillside. And, you know, obviously the more, the further up they can go, the more data they can get on effectively the mineral formation. They actually started that in September of 2014, which is where they also made one particular interesting discovery. In the end of 2014, on the 16th of December, Curiosity reported a, quote, tenfold spike likely localized in the amount of methane in the Martian atmosphere, which was one of their first strongest detections of organics on the surface of Mars. So the sample measurements taken, quote, a dozen times over 20 months showed increases in late 2013 and early 2014, and those averaged, quote, seven parts of methane per billion in the atmosphere, which is not a whole lot of methane in comparison, especially to like the surface of Earth. But having that kind of a spike and that kind of continual measurement of methane in the relatively thin atmosphere of Mars, remember it's only about 1% of the atmospheric pressure of Earth, that's actually quite a significant amount of methane to discover. They continued those samplings as they traveled up Mount Sharp There were some additional things that they discovered with respect to organics, again, because the instrumentation on Curiosity wasn't well suited for these particular kinds of detections. They were indicators of life more so than they were actual direct evidence of any life present. Because, for example, in 2015, that's when they had the first detection of nitrogen being released after heating surface sediments on Mars, which these just indicated that there could have been ancient life present, but didn't actually directly show evidence that there was life present. And that's about all the time we have for this week's episode of Becoming Multiplanetary. As always, thanks for listening. I've been Rich L.B. I have been Kage. Thank you for joining us for this wrap-up on the curiosity and perseverance comparison and a little bit of a deep dive into curiosity. If you like what you've been listening to, stay tuned because we have a few more episodes coming up about other rovers that have been sent to Mars. We'll be discussing Spirit and Opportunity, the twin rovers sent as part of the Mars Exploration Rover Program. And then after that, we will wrap up this mini-series with the Pathfinder mission and the Sojourner rover. Also, don't forget that we have other programs on Total Space. You can also listen to Deep Dive with Miko and the Space Update with Ryan. And as always, you can find our episodes on totalspace.net. And with that, I will hand over to Rich to give us the usual introduction and thank yous to our Patreons. Thanks, Kage. As always, at the end of every episode, we take time to thank our patrons, and here they are. In order, we have Adrian Moisa, Anthony Mann, Framrick, Gio Pagliari, Angry Astronaut, Dishwan and Sebastian, Howard Walker, Marco, Sammy Oscuro, also known as Stinger NSW, Susie R, Warhawk, and What About It? Thank you all very, very much for your contributions. And if you would also like to become a Patreon, you can simply find us by going to patreon.com forward slash total space.